Well, we are coming uh, to an end this morning of uh, our little brief series that we've been looking at in the first five weeks of the year uh, regarding the gospel. We wanted to start off our year uh, focusing together for a few weeks just on the wonder of the good news of Jesus. The gospel, that is who God is and what that God has done for us, should be at the very center of our lives, of our individual lives and of our lives together as a church. And, and part of that means just marveling at the wonders of the gospel. First, knowing them, well, hearing them, knowing them, understanding them, then also celebrating them. That's what we do week by week in song and in other ways, thanking God for them, pondering and reflecting on the many different aspects of the good news, and, and, and then praying that as we do that, that God might enable us to have a fuller and a deeper sense of wonder and joy in Him. And I hope that's been the case over the, these few weeks that we've been thinking about the gospel. But we don't stop there, in that place of reflecting and marveling and celebrating. We don't stop there. If we cherish something at the very center of our lives, that affects us in many, many ways. Think of anything that you're passionate about in life, and you can see how it impacts not just your thought life or your emotions, but it impacts many different areas of life, your, your time, your, your thoughts, your resources, your future plans. And actually, for those things that are, are most central in our lives, th- the reality is that there are not separate categories of, on the one hand, a sort of philosophical embrace of whatever it is, a person or a, or a wow, <laughs> a person or a, a, a principle or a place or a thing. Wow, it's disco time, guys. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, there's, it's not on the one hand that there is a philosophical embrace of these things. Are we done? Yeah, we're good. Okay, okay. It's not on the one hand we choose to center our lives around things, and then on the other hand we make certain decisions of how that will be worked out in practice. In reality, these things come together beautifully. So let me give you a few examples. The cherishing of a particular career means setting aside 40, maybe 50, maybe 60 plus, who knows, hours a week for that. That's what it means to love that job. It means that you're committed to it. It means that you feel it's a role for you, and that finds expression, therefore, in commitment and in sacrifice. Or the love of a dog finds expression, I imagine. I don't have a dog, but I've seen this in others. That love of a dog finds expression in the joy of that moment when you come home and the dog runs to you and you have that mini reunion that you've, you've missed for the last eight hours or whatever it is, or indeed in the commitment that you make day by day to walk that dog, maybe in, in horrible conditions that we sometimes have to face. That's what it means to love the dog. It's that it finds expression in those ways. Or think of the wonder you feel at a beautiful sunset. It doesn't stay in a box. What that means is that you lay aside whatever else you were focusing on 
to wonder at the beauty of what is before you. And it also results in you telling other people about it. It's amazing, right? If you're on Facebook, if there's a stunning sky, everyone starts posting photos and telling people about it. It's because these are not separate realities, what what we cherish and what we do, but these are just naturally together. And it's very lovely that you love a TV show or a particular radio station or a a favorite newspaper or something like that, what that means is that you watch the TV show, you listen to the radio station, you read that newspaper over and over again. There is no enjoying, treasuring of, of these things without the tangible expression of that. And of course, it should be the same with our love of God. It's not always the same. Sometimes we are prone to, on the one hand, you know, embrace or at least believe that we embrace certain truths about who God is or say that we love the gospel, but then in reality, sometimes it doesn't impact our lives the way it should. But our love of who God is and how God has acted in the world and towards us, if you truly love him and what he's done, you can't keep that in some sort of compartment, disconnected from our lives. The gospel changes us, shapes us, affects us. And later in the year, we're going to take a couple of months after Easter and look at this in much more detail in a a series called Gospel DNA. But today, I just wanted to touch on one important aspect of this, to consider the connection between us cherishing the good news of Jesus, and then to ask, what does that mean for the way we think about the issue of generosity, how we use our finances, how we use our money and our resources? Now, just a few things to say on that, because I imagine for maybe some of you, you're thinking, oh dear, what's coming here this morning? Well, let me just make a few pre- preliminary comments. First of all, I, I want to acknowledge the difficulties of speaking about a topic like finance, like money. It's difficult for a number of reasons, but one of them is that this issue is often considered to be a completely private matter. I suspect for many of us in this room, we grew up and even in, in our family contexts, money was almost never spoken about. So the idea that we would come and speak here, a very diverse gathering like this about these things, can be very difficult. I also have to acknowledge that the reason, one of the reasons, a big reason why this issue is difficult to speak about in church is because the church, in its broadest sense, I don't necessarily mean this one, but the church across the world, across history, has some horrible history with this issue. There have been many examples of churches, sometimes specifically pastors, who have exploited people and used funds that others have given in terrible ways that dishonor God and dishonor the people that are in that community of faith. So it's difficult, right? That's one thing. The, other, the second thing is I want to just make so clear the dynamics of this morning's consideration of this topic. So what we're talking about here is how our cherishing of the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts the way that we consider our finances. 
So I just want to say so clearly, if that's not you, if you don't yet know what you think about Jesus, or maybe you're certain that Jesus is not significant to you, you don't embrace him as savior, as master ruler of your life, then that should affect how you listen to what I am saying. We very, very much hope in this church that week by week there would be people here who don't know what they think about God, who don't know what they think about Jesus, who don't know what the gospel is. We really hope that there are many, increasingly many among us who would gather together in that place. And I want you to know if that's you, if you're an atheist, if you're not sure, We are so glad that you are here, and we do hope that you feel so welcome. It's not a throwaway line when we say week by week that we're about to take up the offering, but if you're just visiting or whatever, then let it pass by. It's not a throwaway line. We're holding on to that because it's important. We want you to know that I'm not, we're not, God is not after your money. In this message, my main hope above all, and I hope that you can hear this at various points through the message, is that we will be struck by God's heart of generosity towards us. Now, please, everyone hear me. That certainly is relevant for every single person in the room, that God acts towards his creation with unlimited, beautiful, extravagant generosity. And then my hope is that as we reflect on that, as we are struck by that, that we will be challenged to respond correctly. But the order is so important. I want to make that clear. But we do have to talk about this because it is such an important topic. And as we talk about this, as we think about this, we're following in Jesus' footsteps. Jesus talked a lot about money about our resources, about what we do with the things that we have been given. Some have argued that if you look at what Jesus is teaching explicitly on or what it's relevant to, that as much as 25% of what Jesus publicly taught has to do with the the way that we engage with the resources that we have been given. So if it was important to Jesus, it should be important to us also. And it's also important to note that the Bible has very serious warnings about uh, a wrong relationship with money. So we better be sure that we speak about this issue. And then I also think that we need to acknowledge our specific context within which we speak about these things. We live in a very rich part of the world. in in the UK, and this church gathers together here in a very rich part of Aberdeen, which is one of the richest cities in the UK. And many of us drive to this church from other very wealthy parts of this town. And we need to acknowledge that that context shapes us. It shapes us. And we also have to acknowledge that Scots Uh, particularly Scots in the Northeast, do not have a great reputation when it comes to how we deal with our money. It is said, it is felt that in the Northeast that we do not naturally have a loose grip on our finances. Now, we can laugh about that, 
But there is actually a serious issue here. We need to be aware that the ocean in which we swim is one that inclines us towards the accumulation of and use of wealth for ourselves and for our families. We need to take that seriously. We know that from our own personal examples, but we also know that from um, some stats. So, for example, uh, I looked, and according to Oscar, that's the Scottish Charities Regulator, um, their most recent survey said that 42% of people in Scotland, it was by far the biggest group of the respondents in that survey, 42% gave up to £50 to charity, including churches, whatever, to any charity in 2018. And then and, 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 and here's the most staggering statistic. Just 9% of people in Scotland, from the sample that they picked from, and it was a big sample, just 9% of people gave more than £200 to a charity over the course of 2018. Now, we just need to acknowledge that. And we need to acknowledge that in that context, there are dangers. I'm not, I'm not particularly commenting on any particular figure there, but I'm saying that in that context, there are dangers that we at least need to be aware of. I hope you would agree with me on that. And, and, and then my final preliminary comment is this. I pray, having said all that, which already feels heavy, right? It just does. Having said all that, my prayer is that we would know peace and even joy as we think about these things this morning. I don't want anyone to leave here with a sense of burden, to leave here with a sense of obligation when we think about this topic. We, when we think about having a God-honoring perspective on finance, we should be thinking of liberty, not law. The, the scriptures say, freely you have received, freely give. That's what Jesus said to his followers when he sent them out in Matthew chapter 10. Freely. In Galatians 5 verse 1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And I pray that we would know freedom, liberty, as we come to this topic this morning. Because um, when we think about the issue of money, what we see in the New Testament are, another little phrase, principles not particulars. So the scriptures do not give us loads of detailed rules that we have to follow when it comes to how we spend our money. But there are principles regarding what God has given us and how we should think about giving. In in 2016, I preached a 15-point sermon on giving. <laughs> uh, you can go and look it up, guys. Just, uh, just if you missed it, you can go and check it out. But it was, it was just principles, some ways that we can reflect and say, well, are, are my finances aligned with some of the principles that we see in the Scriptures? And then the last little phrase I want is that when we come to this little topic, what I want you to hear is invitation, not stipulation invitation. We hear of all who God is. We hear of all that God has done, and we are invited to him. 
We are invited to love him. We are invited to respond and embrace, to, to, to respond to his love. And then we're invited to, to, to let that shape how we live. That's the way we should think about our finances. That's the way we should think about all aspects of our life is that God is inviting us to connect in with him and his heart of love for this world. It's not about conditions, demands, nothing like that. I am praying that we will all hear the lovely voice of God this morning as we think about what he's calling us to in this topic. I'd like to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The scripture's teaching on money and giving is not in one place, but is scattered across the whole of the Bible. Uh, and the different types of writings that we have collected here in this book, which we call the Bible, which is this library of 66 books, Old and New Testament. And I just want to flag one more sermon that might be helpful for you to listen to. Colin Dedis preached a brilliant message in October of 2018, looking at this topic across the whole scope of the scriptures. It's remarkable. And, and there's a, so look it up on the website. And there was also a blog that, that we released off the back of that sermon, uh, which is uh, there. If you click on resources, elders blog, you can find Colin's blog there on this topic. I commend it to you. So it's dotted across many different books of the Bible, but in one particular place, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we have some concentrated teaching on this from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as he writes to the church in uh, Corinth. Now, the context here is that Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians, and he is encouraging them as they prepare a gift together as a church for the needs of the broader church, specifically the church in Jerusalem. And Paul, is that, he's, he's challenging them, he's encouraging them in that context as they think about a particular need. And what I mainly want us to look at today is the language that Paul uses as he speaks about the use of money. We're going to read a few verses from the start of this chapter and a few verses from the end of chapter 9. And there's one word that I want you to pay close attention to. The Apostle Paul repeatedly brings this issue back to the grace of God. The grace of God. This is a huge aspect of what we think about when we're considering what the gospel is. It's not the sum total of what the gospel is, but it's a huge part when we think of what is the good news of the Christian faith. This word grace is so important that God is a God of grace. That is to say that he he brings blessing and kindness and favor into our lives that we do not deserve. That God gives us amazing good things without us having earned them. That's the grace of God. And I'd like us to listen to how Paul uses this word. How he makes the connection between our embrace of God's grace and how that finds tangible expression, particularly with regard to this very practical issue of giving. So we're going to start in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. I've got the the English Standard Bible before me. And Paul begins by telling the Corinthians about some incredible generosity shown by the churches a few hundred miles north in Macedonia. This is God's word. 
We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So you have these these churches in Macedonia, a few hundred miles away from the church in Corinth, who are in tough times, who are even in, in real poverty. They are in that context overflowing in generosity. And Paul describes that financial sacrifice as the grace of God. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given in the churches of Macedonia. So what are the Macedonians doing? They're not just giving a little bit to charity, but they are displaying the grace of God as they give. Let's keep going. Verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. So just bear that in mind if you're thinking, I don't know if I've got any money to give. Just keep that in mind. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor. It's the exact same word as grace. You could say begging us earnestly for the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So we see a few things here, just dead briefly. We see that this is considered giving, So they're not just being reckless. They gave according to their means. We can also see that it's sacrificial giving, which is what our giving to God should be. Now, the point is this. Why are they doing this? Do they feel obliged to do it? Is it because they just think it would be nice? Is it duty? Are they just wanting to have charitable hearts? No. They want the joy of giving. Even when there's no need particularly for them to get involved, they're saying it's grace. It is favor for us to participate in giving like this. And as we see in verse 5, it's worship. They're giving themselves firstly to God. And then that finds expression in generosity towards others. That's the way we should think about these things. Having a loose grip on our finances, on the things that God has given us, is when it's done with the right heart, worship to God. Because we're saying, God, you are enough. You're more than enough. So I'm going to loosen my grip on that which I think I need for this month. And I'm going to hopefully, God, with your help, see the needs of this world the needs of your church and the needs of this world. And I'm going to let what you've given me flow through me to others. It's worship. It's worship. Let's keep going. Verse 6. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is like Paul saying, 
there's so many sermons that we could preach that we do preach to you, Corinthians. There's so many important things that we need to think about as followers of Jesus. As you take seriously this issue and that issue and this issue, see that you excel in this particular act of grace also. Do you think of your giving to God in that way? I'm not just thinking of if you have a standing order or whatever set up or direct debits to charities or anything like that, but just as you consider the resources that you have, as you think about the world around about you, could you think of growing in generosity as excelling in the act of grace? You see, grace is not just a concept. It's not just something we receive, but we mirror, we reflect God's grace to those around about us. And a huge part of that, a huge part of that is by freely sharing the resources that God has given to us. And you'll notice I'm mixing up. Sometimes I'm talking specifically about money. Sometimes I'm speaking more generally about resources, time, thought life, meals, spare clothes that you have, spare possessions that you have. I'm doing that on purpose. The Bible does speak specifically about money, but I think the bigger issue is what's going on with our heart as we think about what God has given to us. Do you think of your giving in that way? God, help me excel in this act of grace, sharing with others from what you've given me. Let's, let's carry on. The last two, last two verses we're gonna read from chapter eight. I love Paul. I love how Paul writes. Listen to his heart here. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Being Generous in and of itself is, uh, sorry, being generous, having that heart to give in Jesus' name is not an end in itself. It's not a matter of obligation, but it's, it's a proof. Or, or most translations use the word test here. It's a test of how genuine our love is. And then Paul then as they reflect on that test, how genuine is my love? Paul then points the Corinthians to our perfect example in, in, in all things, and certainly in this issue to Jesus himself. What did Jesus give for us? Everything. Everything. Jesus, who was infinitely rich, gave it all up, even his life, to a world deep in need that didn't deserve that great outpouring of love. And the point here is not that every follower of Jesus has to give everything away, but our point, the point that Paul is making a belief here is that our lives are changed by the gospel. Our behavior is shaped by our embrace of the gospel, and, and then now we live as a response to that good news of Jesus, even participating in the work of God's good news as we share in these acts.
acts of grace. That is acts of his grace. That's what we're doing when we give. We see this also in in chapter 9, towards the end of of chapter 9. So if we can pick it up from verse 7, John, thanks. John chapter 9, verse 7. Let's read verses 7 and 8. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So God's grace abounding to us is not just to be for our spiritual benefit, and that's the end of it. But the point here is that there is an overflow When God gives bountifully to us, it just can't stay contained within us, but it overflows from our lives. It results in a few things. It results in contentment. That's what it it means there where it says having all sufficiency. It results in contentment, and then we abound in good works, and we are to do that cheerfully, it says there. And then this is the same in in verse 11. Jump down a few verses to verse 11. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, I I don't know what, uh, yeah, so some ESVs, my ESV actually has an older translation of that, but they fixed it in the more modern version. So it says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So who are we enriched by? Well, we're enriched by God who makes all grace abound to us. He lavishes his love on us. He provides for all our needs. He brings us into Christian family. He gives us his heart for the poor and the needy in this world around about us. This God enriches us in every way so that we can be generous in every way. Which, by the way, as it says at the end of verse 11, ultimately brings again, it's about worship of God. It brings glory and praise back to God. It will produce thanksgiving to him, not to us. We don't give so that we get a pat on the back. We give so that God is made to look glorious. And then let's, uh, let's read the last few verses. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, or it could say there because of your obedience, um, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon, upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So where does this, where does a generous heart come from for a follower of Jesus? Where does the drive to live like this come from? It doesn't just come from a nice idea. It doesn't just come from having the same motives as your neighbor who lives around you, who doesn't follow God. Our motivations are different. It's not just wanting, it's not just a sense of wanting to contribute to the world for the sake of that, to make it better or anything like that. The, the, 
for the Christian, the submission or the obedience which brings this about flows from where? Where does it say? It flows from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is to say, we want the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to be at the very heart of everything we do as Hillview Community Church. But, but an embrace of the truths of the good news isn't the end. Talking about confessing, that's that word confessing, that's what it means. Talking about the wonders of the gospel isn't the end. Sharing the good news with others is not the sum total of what we are called to. Something else flows out from there. And and what it is, is obedience resulting in generosity flows out from those who know and cherish and love the good news of Jesus Christ. And then in these final few words of this section, Paul removes any doubt as to how this should work. A Christian is motivated to be generous because of the, verse 14, surpassing grace of God that rests on them. Therefore, all thanks and all praise are due to him and and him alone. He gives us this inexpressible gift of his grace and then we, dear friends, are to share it as widely as we can. Do you think of your finances in those terms? Do you think of your giving in those ways as a means to be generous, as a response to the kindness and the grace of God. To be honest, the call of the Scriptures is that all of our behavior should be thought of in these terms. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercy of God, offer your bodies, that is, your tangible actions, as a, as a, as a spiritual act of worship to Him. But, but the Scriptures do have a lot to say specifically about our finances in this regard. And it's because it gets so quickly, when we think about our resources, it gets so quickly, so explicitly to the issue of what do we truly treasure in this world? What are we truly relying on? What are we truly hoping for? What are our heart's desires? Are you excelling in this act of grace? And just ponder, just between you and God just now, what do your standing orders and direct debits say about that question? Are you excelling in this act of grace? What does your heart and mind disposition towards the money that is in your pockets or in your wallets right now? What does it say about whether you are excelling in this act of grace? What do your savings pots communicate as an answer to that question? The various things that you're rightly accumulating money for for the future. What do your various savings desires communicate about whether you are excelling in this act of grace? Dear friends, it is hard, 
It is a gift that the Scriptures have so much to say to us on this matter. We need regular reminders because there are so many other things in this world, are there not, that clamor for our attention. There are so many pressures that we face when it comes to finances, some of which we put on ourselves, some of which are imposed on us because of nothing that we have done. And it is important that we have these regular reminders because we know, as we, as, as we sometimes sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We know that our hearts are prone to choosing for ourselves rather than for God or for others. God says to us this morning, no, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus who was infinitely rich. Yet for the sake of every single person here, he became poor. Remember the gospel. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what God has given to you. And now, The scripture calls us, reflect his grace to this world in which you live. As an act of worship, through your giving to others, through your giving to God's work in the ministry of this church and in other ways as your conscience guides you through your loose grip on the possessions that you have, on the money that you have, excel in this act of grace, of extravagant generosity for Jesus' sake, with him as our example and his praise as our end. Excel. May we as a church excel. In this act, may we be a generous people. We're coming to the Lord's table. It all starts and ends with Jesus. It's why we come to this table month by month. It's why we come to God day by day. It's why we rejoice that his mercies are new every morning because they shape how we will live for that coming day, we bring now to this time, I'm inviting you in the name of Jesus Christ, anyone who would cherish Jesus as Savior and Lord, we bring this morning all that we are to Jesus. Our fragility, our sin, the ways that we've pushed God and pushed God's plans away, We bring this morning our struggles with this issue of finance, whether that is that you do not have enough to pay your bills this morning, you bring that need to the foot of the cross, or whether our issue is that our inclination is to hold on too tightly to what God has given us, you bring that need to the foot of the cross. We bring our emotions and our feelings about the scriptures and about how we feel about this service this morning. We bring all that we are. This is what I love about this, this moment is that it so clearly reminds us that it's not just an intellectual, philosophical, spiritual thing, but we bring our bodies, we bring our feelings, our emotions, our aches, our pains, our joys, our sorrows, our hopes, our dreams, our insecurities, our joys. We bring them to the cross to this place. We bring our whole selves. Nothing, nothing can be off limits to God. 
as we come to this time. You cannot come to this table and receive of the beautiful free grace of God but say, but you're not getting this, God. But we come mainly in this time to receive from God. In that, God is glorified. As you come and receive from him, you're saying to God, you're enough for me. You are more than enough for me. You are the one, God, who meets all my needs. And we come, we remember the cross. We're going to take a little bit of bread as he told us to, remembering him. We're going to take a little cup, which symbolic of his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We're going to do that as he told us to. And we're going to, as we do that, what we're doing is we're proclaiming his death. That's the language of scripture used. And we're proclaiming all that Jesus' death means for this world. That, that we're in a mess. We're needy sinners who have rebelled against God. But there is hope in Jesus Christ who, though he was rich for our sake, became poor so that in him we might become rich beyond words. And as we receive from him, once we've tasted the generosity of God again and again, the tone of what I'm trying to share this morning is, once we've tasted of that, how can we do anything but seek to share the generosity the grace of God with those that we come into contact with. That's certainly about evangelism. It's certainly about world mission as we were hearing last week. It's certainly about events like the marriage course and the Hillview Bake Off. It's certainly about worship. And it's certainly about showing the world a generous God through us excelling in these acts of grace. May we, brothers and sisters, live lives of generosity to the glory of God. So I'm inviting you to come. And we're going to do that by uh, singing. And we're going to do that by, when you're ready, feeling no obligation by someone, someone gets up next to you and you, you're not ready, just let them go, okay? But there's going to be bread and juice here and bread and juice here. And just we're going to respond to God. And we're saying in this time, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you've given me more than I could ever imagine. Infinitely more than I deserve. I cherish you. I thank you. Now, God, let me take what you're giving me. And help me this week share it. Help me excel in these acts of grace. Let's just take a moment of quiet. I'm not going to say anything more. I just want you to respond to God however he's been prompting you. Give your heart to him. Respond to him in some way for this coming week in the quiet.